What's happening in the world coming up on NTD News? First, our top stories. Pennsylvania fugitive Danilo Cavalcante now in custody after a two-week manhunt. Officials shared the details of the capture. The White House is reportedly asking media organizations to scrutinize the impeachment inquiry into Biden. Find out what's in a letter it plans to send out. Terrorists at the border trying to enter the U.S. We saw more suspected terrorists this year than in the last six years combined. We bring you what Border Patrol says about that. A strike by auto workers is looking more and more likely. An analyst says the Union and Detroit's big three automakers are far apart, but that this negotiation is unusual. Find out why. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un pledging his support to Vladimir Putin in what he calls a sacred fight. We have more on the closely watched meeting in Russia. The White House is asking the media to be critical of the impeachment inquiry against President Biden. He released a letter urging them to, quote, ramp up scrutiny. White House spokesperson Ian Sams is expected to send the letter. A draft of it was obtained by CNN. In it, Sam says there is no evidence against Biden and that the impeachment inquiry is unmerited. The letter has raised concern as it seems to urge news outlets to take editorial orders from the White House. The letter is expected to go out to top executives at big news outlets like the New York Times, Fox, CNN, CBS, and the Associated Press. This comes after House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced the impeachment inquiry yesterday. It will investigate President Biden's involvement with his son's business dealings. Was President Biden involved in his family's questionable business dealings? House Republicans think it's possible. They say evidence uncovered in the House investigation of the president's son hints at this. That's why House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has launched an impeachment inquiry into Biden. Joining me to discuss the latest is the lead counsel of the National Legal Policy Center, Paul Kaminar. Paul Kaminar, thank you for joining us again. My pleasure. Paul, what additional power will this impeachment inquiry give the House in this ongoing investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings and Joe Biden's potential involvement in them? Yeah, what this will do is give the three committees that are already looking into this, the Judiciary Committee, the Oversight Committee, and the Ways and Means Committee, uh, extra uh, subpoena power, so to speak. It, it sort of turbocharges their current investigation because under their current uh, parameters, they have to limit their investigation to, that relates to their legislative duties in terms of what legislation they want to enact at the end of this. Here with the impeachment inquiry, there is no such limit. It's, it's, it's totally broad in terms of looking for any wrongdoing that the president may have. And therefore, they have a wider discretion to subpoena uh, people uh, in the administration to subpoena grand jury uh, uh, testimony and uh, bank records that they couldn't get so far. So this gives them that extra power. And what do you expect uh, this, this inquiry will uncover here? Well, I think it will get uh, uh, more uh, information in terms of the financial arrangements that Hunter Biden had with uh, not only his family, uh, which we already know that that uh, nine members of the family 
were beneficiaries of all this money that uh, Hunter got. But uh, in terms of what relationship he had with his father, uh, there is a certain uh, evidence of that, but it's not conclusive yet. So I think what they'll discover more is what uh, 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 Joe Biden did in terms of helping his son out in terms of his foreign dealings. Uh, and, and we have some of that information so far that he was on certain phone calls and so forth. It's not dispositive. Uh, there's also uh, troubling that when he was vice president, uh, Joe Biden used an alias or a false uh, email uh, name that he communicated with his son, giving uh, certain national security information over in terms of talking points about Burisma and so forth. So we already have uh, some uh, damning evidence there. So uh, as uh, Representative Kober said, we've got we've got to smoke, and where there's smoke, there's usually fire. So that's going to get into it with their further investigation. Now, Paul, Speaker McCarthy ordered this inquiry without holding a vote. Is he following proper procedure here, and is there any precedent for this kind of move? Yes, that's a good question, uh, because um, uh, he is basically following what Nancy Pelosi did when she opened up the uh, impeachment inquiry to Trump with respect uh, to the first impeachment on the call to Zelensky, that phone call. Uh, uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, in order to enforce any subpoenas that they might issue, they are going to need the full vote of the House. So I think this is the first step along the way to get some information. And as I get more information, uh, some of those Republicans who are on the fence, who uh, are more moderate, that that are in districts that voted for Biden, uh, they're leery of going on the record right now to open up official uh, impeachment inquiry by the full vote of the House. But I think that's going to have to come at some point uh, in terms of this investigation. All right, Paul Kaminar, thank you again. Thank you. Escaped prisoner Danilo Cavalcante was captured in Pennsylvania. He was found after a two-week manhunt and multiple sightings. I'm pleased to be able to report that thanks to the extraordinary work of law enforcement officials from here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, our local leaders here in Chester County, and from our federal partners all across this nation, shortly after 8 a.m., our suspect was captured. Jail video shows Cavalcante escaping by crab walking up a prison wall. He was recently issued a life sentence for killing his ex-girlfriend and was awaiting transfer to state prison. A helicopter detected body heat in an area at around 1 a.m. The helicopter had to stop following the signal due to a storm, but police surrounded the area while they waited out the storm. Afterwards, they moved in and surprised Cavalcante. He tried to crawl through a wooded area with a rifle he stole, but a police dog found him. No shots were fired, but Cavalcante was minorly bitten by the dog. $10 billion or more. That's the amount projected to be spent on ads in the 2024 election cycle. A company called Ad Impact monitors political ad spending. They expect spending to surpass $10 billion in races for the White House, Congress, and gubernatorial elections. 
The company says it's a 13% increase over the 2019-2020 election cycle. It attributes the increase to factors such as Republicans trying to keep a House majority and Democrats trying to keep Senate control. Abortion-related issues were also cited as a contributing factor. President Biden's campaign is hoping to corral some top donors this week. They will be fundraising in Chicago starting today. Potential donors will have a chance to hear from Democratic officials and Biden advisors on the campaign's re-election strategy. Vice President Kamala Harris is expected to speak. Turning now to former President Trump, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis made another push yesterday to hold one trial in October for all 19 defendants in the Georgia election case. The judge in the case is expected to issue a decision in the coming days, but has already expressed heavy skepticism of holding one joint trial. The Tuesday filing was a follow-up to a hearing last week where prosecutors made arguments about the trial's timing and keeping the case together. Some of the defendants have already invoked their right to a speedy trial, while others, including Trump, oppose the fast-tracked timeline. All of the defendants in the case have pleaded not guilty. Trump's federal trial, one in Florida and one in Washington, won't be televised. New federal court system rules do not permit broadcasting criminal trials. About 40 House Democrats have urged exceptions for Trump's cases, emphasizing historical significance and public interest. And a federal judge today issued a protective order in Trump's classified documents case. The former president and his lawyers may only review classified evidence in a secure place. The decision appears to be largely in line with restrictions sought by special counsel Jack Smith. And Trump's name is coming off a New York City golf course. Bally Corporation is buying the Trump golf links course in the Bronx. The former president's son, Eric, says the Trump organization wasn't looking for a buyer, but the offer was just too good to turn down. The course has been under scrutiny since the January 6th Capitol breach. The city of New York wants to terminate the licensing deal, but it lost a breach of contract case on the matter. After the break, New York City is facing a crisis not seen since the 1930s, with illegal immigrants now making up half of the sheltered population. How long will the problem remain? And new regulations on a cryptocurrency proposed by two major international bodies. What's in the report published for the G20 summit and what does it mean? We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. We're seeing more suspected terrorists at our borders this year than in the last six years combined. At the same time, an organization in Geneva is declaring the U.S.-Mexico border the deadliest land migration route in the world. Here's more on the border crisis. Immigrants whose names appear on the federal terrorist watch list trying to enter the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, saw the highest number ever of suspected terrorists in the past fiscal year. CBP numbers show a total of 149 immigrants identified as known terrorists, suspected terrorists, or associates of both tried to enter the U.S. illegally. This number is larger than the last six years combined. Despite the surge, the CBP's website notes that Encounters of watch-listed individuals at our borders are very uncommon. 
and that the almost 150 encounters of people on the watch list make up 0.009% of all Border Patrol encounters in the past fiscal year. Meanwhile, on Tuesday, reporters at the southern border close to San Diego spoke with immigrants coming from as far away as Africa. It's not easy. We started from Brazil. By land, it's not easy. The people of Mexico, they give us help of tough time. It's not easy, man. It's not easy. The immigrant from Africa added that he's running from persecution in his home country and that America is the land of opportunity. Hundreds of immigrants gathered on Tuesday at the border waiting to be processed by CBP. Aid workers said the migrants had come from as far afield as West Africa, Central America and Asia. We basically have an, an informal, unofficial gathering of uh, the United Nations. We have people from all over the globe. Also on Tuesday, the International Organization for Migration, or IMO, said the border between the United States and Mexico is the deadliest land migration route in the world. That's after the organization documented almost 700 deaths and disappearances among migrants on the U.S.-Mexico border last year. These figures represent the lowest estimates available as many more deaths are likely to have gone unreported due to a lack of data from official sources. The number of deaths along the southern border represent half of all documented migrants' deaths in the Americas. A crisis not seen in over nine decades is sweeping New York City. A surge of illegal immigrants has strained the city's homeless shelters, making up half of this population. New York City is facing a level of homelessness not seen since the Great Depression in the 1930s. That's according to the Coalition for the Homeless, a not-for-profit. As of mid-August, there were more than 110,000 people sleeping in the city's shelter system each night. And that number doesn't include the thousands of unsheltered people who sleep on the streets. Compounding the chronic problem is an influx of asylum seekers, who now make up more than half the sheltered population. Juan de la Cruz at the Coalition for the Homeless sees the impact firsthand. Um, for example, here at St. Bartholomew's Church, where we start serving, we were seeing on average anywhere from 250 to 275 people, more or less regularly. Um, once the new arrivals started coming, our numbers got up over 400 people. It's not gone unnoticed by the city's unsheltered population. Although I have to wait and go through all these channels, and they're picking up busloads of people from other places, bringing them up and giving them space. Why can't we get first dibs? New York State has been bound by a decades-old consent decree from a class-action lawsuit to provide shelter to people without homes. That mandate has become a point of contention between the city and the state. Now we're getting people from all over the globe. Mayor Eric Adams says the city is running out of money, space, and personnel. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. And everyone is saying it's New York City's problem. Adams has called for more support, including a way to expedite pathways to work authorization, a barrier that surprises some new arrivals, says Jeffrey Newman, founder of Backpacks for the Street, a nonprofit. And I think that we don't have, there's, there's no infrastructure here to allow people to figure out what, how they move through that process and what that process is. Um, and the same thing for the people who are, who are homeless already and existing here. Uh, there is no sort of, it's a broken system. 
And where Mayor Adams sees no end in sight to the migrant influx, Philip Yanos from John Jay College at the City University of New York isn't so sure. He separates the more recent problem around new arrivals from the chronic issue of homelessness. I think that the, uh, the crisis around asylum seekers will pass. Um, and of course, there are federal responses that need to be um, made. And um, I, I don't think this is going to stay on like this. But the issue of chronic homelessness among single adults and families will continue in New York City um, as, as it continues to become less and less affordable. The beginnings of a cryptocurrency clampdown, a report proposing an international regulatory framework for this controversial coin, was made public at the G20 summit in India. The former chief economist for the U.S. Senate Banking Committee weighs in. Thomas Hogan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad to be on. The G20 released a report that proposes international regulations on cryptocurrencies. What does this report say? That's right. This is a report that was prepared by the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, and the Financial Stability Board, the FSB. And these are international organizations that work uh, that you know manage um, monetary issues among countries. And it recommends extensive regulations be imposed uh, to in regard to cryptocurrencies by all the countries of the G20, and that the IMF and the FSB should be the ones that manage this international regulatory system. Now, Thomas, you've been critical of the way the report frames the risks of cryptocurrencies to governments. Explain your stance. Yeah, that's right. This report characterizes a number of risks that cryptocurrencies could pose uh, to the financial system. But if you read the way these risks are described, they're really uh, 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 things like um, people being able to evade uh, restrictions by the government. So, for example, um, people might use cryptocurrencies if their government has a terrible monetary policy, but that's good for the individual, even if it's bad for the government. Got it. And how and how how is that good for the people? Can you kind of explain, unpack that a little more? In a number of countries, uh, they do not have good systems for managing the money supply. Their central banks tend to create a lot of inflation. You can see some places like Argentina that have massive inflation that's terrible for the economy and terrible for individuals. And in Argentina, people are getting around this by using cryptocurrencies rather than using the local Argentine peso. But the IMF wants them to restrict that. Um, that would be something that would be good for the government because it would force people to use the Argentine peso, but it would be bad for individuals who just want to be able to have some stable currency. And so the IMF report is going to have regulations that are going to be good for the government, but bad for the citizens. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. So critics of potential international crypto regulatory frameworks have said they paved the way for central bank digital currencies. These currencies are pretty disconcerting to critics. Why? That's right. This report doesn't specifically get into central bank digital currencies, but it does recommend many of the restrictions that are common in countries that use them. There have been a number of countries that have tried to create uh, CBDCs. China is the most notable one. They have a very oppressive system where they want to be able to monitor and track every 
thing that everyone spends. Uh, other countries like Nigeria are also trying to enforce it. And these re regulations wouldn't go so far as to um, establish the CBDC, but they would require the monitoring of all cryptocurrency usage. And so in many ways have the same effect of the government taking more and more control of what people are, are spending and what they do with their money. Thomas Hogan, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad to be on. When we come back, inflation speeds up at the fastest pace yet this year. Should we be worried? We'll have the details soon when we return. Thanks for staying with us. A shocking figure. As much as $135 billion was likely paid out in fraudulent COVID-19 unemployment insurance claims. That's according to a report released yesterday by the U.S. Government Accountability Office. The figure equates to 15% of total unemployment benefits distributed during the pandemic. It's a notable increase from the $60 billion estimate by the watchdog in January. But the Department of Labor says the office is likely overestimating the actual amount of fraud. Similar fraud plagues small business relief programs like the Paycheck Protection Program. The committee says close to $5.5 billion of those funds may have been fraudulently claimed. Even celebrities like Jay-Z and Kanye West faced scrutiny for benefiting from the loans. Last year, Biden signed two bipartisan bills into law aimed at holding individuals who commit fraud under pandemic relief programs accountable. A new inflation report out this morning, and it seems like inflation sped up. It rose by its biggest amount this year in August. The consumer price index rose 0.6% for the month and was up 3.7% from a year ago. Headline inflation has been inching up for the past two months now. To break down today's inflation report, NTD Business's Don Ma speaks to a market analyst. And here with me to talk about the CPI report is Sam Burns, Chief Strategist at Mill Street Research. Uh, so good morning, Sam. Today's uh, CPI report, uh, definitely not something to celebrate. Um, gasoline or energy prices contributed the most uh, to the uptick. Any worries in your mind that uh, this inflation battle could last longer than we think? Well, I think, yeah, the, uh, the, the Fed is certainly going to be hesitant to declare victory on inflation anytime soon. So I think they'll keep up a certain amount of hawkish messaging. Uh, but I think the overall trend in inflation and certainly the things that the Fed has any control over uh, are still in kind of a, a downward overall trend, even though there's a lot of noise in the data. So I think that the structural trend is still there, uh, but it does you know, kind of complicate the Fed's messaging a little bit. So the uptick this month and last month as well. So these two past uh, two months, uh, th there's not really much there to talk about. Um, overall, no. I think uh, that, you know this month was mostly due to energy prices and even flowing through to things like air airfares, which are directly you know closely tied to, to energy costs. Um, and those are things that the Fed typically doesn't think that you know are, are worth changing policy for, meaning that they can't affect you know OPEC. And really, OPEC is the reason why oil prices are up and why fuel, you know, fuel costs and uh, airfares and things like that uh, are being influenced because they've, you know, restricted supply. Um, and that's really a, you know, political decision, you know, based on uh, what OPEC is doing. It's not anything that the domestic U.S. monetary policy can really uh, affect. I think a lot of the more domestic things uh, based on consumer spending here and, and things like that are still in the kind of a disinflationary trend. Most goods prices are still falling or flat. 
And uh, I think the housing costs are going to be uh, going down, slowing, I guess, over the next, uh, say, six months uh, as kind of the CPI catches up with what we know about rents. So I think those factors will continue to be downward pressures and the you know, energy costs will be sort of a variable, uh, but it's not something the Fed can directly control. I see. I see. So, so you're you're still convinced that uh, the trajectory trajectory for uh, inflation is still downward. That's right. I think the general trend is still disinflationary. I think uh, you know the, the growth in, in labor income is is still positive but slowing. Uh, bank credit has slowed quite a bit. Um, so a lot of the uh, domestic factors that tend to drive inflation are are are, are still pulling back. And because we know about the lags in, in the housing market data, uh, we know that housing costs and rents have slowed quite a bit already, and the data will, will be reflecting that. So uh, a lot of the things that are, are harder to measure, like education or healthcare, financial services, those tend to be uh, where a lot of the noise comes from in the inflation data. Uh, but I think that the longer-term trends there are, uh, again, kind of moving in the right direction overall. Well, all right. Thank you so much today, Sam. Always a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Some disturbing economic news, a no government report shows family incomes tumbled for the third year in a row last year. The Census Bureau found the average family income in 2022 was less than $75,000. That's a 2.3% drop from 2021. Beyond that, nearly 38 million Americans lived in poverty last year and unemployment climbed to 3.8% in August. Though the White House says the economy is indeed improving. Analysts say rising prices are likely to blame. Inflation hit a 40-year high last summer. The United Auto Workers Union is threatening to strike against Detroit's big three automakers. UAW members say they'll walk out if an agreement is not reached on a new contract. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest. Workers on these Ford assembly lines in Detroit and Kansas City are looking for a better deal. They're among the 150,000 members of the United Auto Workers Union working for Ford, GM, and Stellantis. NYU Business School professor Joseph Foudy explained the union's strategy. They're actually choosing to negotiate simultaneously with all three major automakers, whereas usually they would just sort of pick one and use that as a pattern. So how it plays out in the next couple of days is, is unusually uncertain. The group of automakers is also known as Detroit's Big Three. So far, they haven't been able to reach an agreement with the union. Executive analyst of iccars.com, Carl Brower, says the two are at an impasse. It's really unfortunate because we see a big disparity between what the UAW wants and what the automakers are prepared to pay, which seems like it's unavoidable that we're going to end up in a strike situation. Fowdy says the union has made some pretty big requirements for a potential deal. The unions have made really, really extensive demands. 46% pay increase, 32-hour work week, kind of an end to kind of the two-tier system where older workers got more benefits and, and newer ones got less, more spending on, on you know, healthcare spending for retirees. But Ford and GM have conditions of their own, and they're not even close to what the UAW is demanding. Companies like Ford and GM are only offering a 9 or 10% pay increase, which, if you think about recent inflation, is not that much with some lump sum side payments. So each side is really, at least as a starting position, very far away. Brower says a strike could lead to higher car prices. The walkout could also mean larger ramifications for the industry, consumers, and the overall economy. If it goes for a longer period of time, it could really start to hurt U.S. automakers' market share. 
people will start to buy other cars because they can't buy U.S. cars. And it will really start to hurt those local economies and the larger U.S. economy if it's an extended strike. Negotiations over a new deal began in July, but the three automakers have made little headway on the terms of the contract. The current contract expires at midnight Eastern time on Friday. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. What's to blame for the recent air travel disruptions? Trade Association Airlines for America says it's a shortage of air traffic controllers, and it won't end anytime soon. It's going to take at least five to seven years. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says the U.S. is currently short about 3,000 controllers based on Airlines for America calculations. Even if the FAA hires everyone who goes through its academy, we're still going to be short for years. That one academy is the only way to get certified in the U.S., which the group says is a huge problem. The association suggests allowing universities with air traffic controller programs to offer certification courses. Airlines are also planning to ask the FAA to cut back the number of flights at New York area airports. That's where air traffic controller understaffing is at its worst. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, the European Union launches an investigation into the practices of Chinese electric vehicle companies. It's meant to fight unfair practices. And France orders a pause on iPhone 12 sales, but iPhone 12 Pro Max sales aren't affected. Find out why here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. The escaped murderer in Pennsylvania has been caught ending a two-week manhunt. Police used heat radar to detect him. They then tracked him with a helicopter surrounding him during a storm and finally used a dog to stop him crawling in the underbrush. The White House is urging to ramp up scrutiny about the impeachment inquiry into Biden. It reportedly plans to send a letter to major media companies calling the probe unfounded. Customs and Border Protection apprehended more suspected terrorists at our borders this year than in the last six years combined. At the same time, the International Organization for Migration is declaring the U.S.-Mexico border the deadliest land migration route in the world. Auto workers warn Detroit's big three automakers they'll go on strike if they don't get a different contract by Saturday. The union's demands are steep, and it's negotiating with the three companies at once an unusual move. In a high-profile visit, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un met with Vladimir Putin at a remote Siberian rocket launch facility. Kim voiced his support for what he called Putin's sacred fight against the West. Here's the latest. At the opening of their meeting, Kim spoke of his country's unwavering position to further develop its friendship and ties with Moscow. Russia is now in the sacred fight against hegemonic forces to protect its sovereignty and security interests. We have constantly expressed our full and unconditional support for all the decisions taken by the president and Russian leadership. And I want to assure you that we will always be together with Russia in the fight against imperialism. 
Putin showed Kim around the Cosmodrome, including the building where Russia's latest space booster is assembled. Earlier, when asked by reporters if Russia would help Kim build satellites, Putin said, quote, that's why we came here. North Korea failed twice to launch reconnaissance satellites in the past four months, but the US has warned that an arms trade could be on the table. Kim's delegation includes top defense industry and military officials, a sign analysts say suggests an agenda heavy on defense industry cooperation. Washington and allies are concerned that Pyongyang will supply weapons to Moscow to aid its invasion in Ukraine, though both countries have denied such intentions. Meanwhile, just an hour before the highly anticipated meeting, North Korea launched two short-range ballistic missiles, according to South Korean and Japanese authorities. Analysts say it was the first launch by the North while Kim was abroad. And it could imply that Pyongyang is adopting an increasing level of delegation and more refined control systems for its nuclear and missile programs. The European Union Commission announcing an investigation into Chinese electric vehicle practices. European leaders responded. But global markets are now flooded with cheaper Chinese electric cars. And their price is kept artificially low by huge state subsidies. This is distorting our market. And as we do not accept this distortion from the inside in our market, we do not accept this from the outside. So I can announce today that the Commission is launching an anti-subsidy investigation into electric vehicles coming from China. I can only welcome it that the European Commission is now taking a close look at these market segments and all further steps. Should it turn out that there is something to it, will then have to be taken and discussed. We were told you will never succeed in producing more competitive batteries than the Chinese batteries. Sorry, we're in the process of making batteries which are just as competitive and just as innovative as Chinese batteries. If electric vehicle makers in China are being given excessive state subsidies, the European Union would likely counter by imposing tariffs on imports. The announcement follows an agreement in May between the U.S. and the European Union to lower dependency on Beijing. European car makers have acknowledged the challenge posed by Beijing. As the traditional engine vehicles go away, so does Europe's advantage in the market. When Beijing subsidizes Chinese electric battery makers, it could present challenges to the European market, which doesn't depend on subsidies to be competitive. France is ordering Apple to stop selling its iPhone 12 model in the country. A French official said the new model's radiation level is too high. The energy levels carried by the electromagnetic waves in question can vary depending on software updates. And besides, in this specific case, it is undoubtedly due to a software update after the release of the iPhone 12 that the level found itself slightly higher than the standard. And it's a simple software update for the iPhone 12 that will bring them back into compliance. The ban does not affect iPhone 12 Pro Max models. The European Union has set safety limits for radiation from mobile phones. Excessive radiation is believed to increase cancer risk. The official said the iPhone 12's radiation levels have exceeded French standards, but are still below the level considered a problem for human beings. The French watchdog will now pass on its findings to regulators in the European Union member states. 
In 2020, France began regulating other products for radiation as well, requiring retailers to display info on the packaging of tablets and other electronic devices. Coming up, remains of alleged non-human life on display in Mexico. A researcher thinks they have different DNA, and the Mexican government is taking it seriously. And the world record for acceleration is shattered by an electric race car. Find out how it goes from 0 to 60 in less than a second. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. Thank you for staying with us. Let's take a look at some strange and unusual stories from around the world. Our first stop is Portugal. A river of red wine was captured yesterday running through the streets of a Portuguese village. Two holding tanks of red wine burst, spilling over 600,000 gallons of wine onto the streets, triggering an environmental alert. Officials said the amount of wine was enough to fill an Olympic-sized swimming pool, and they're investigating the cause of the incident. A luxury cruise ship with over 200 passengers on board remains stuck for a third day. The ship ran aground while exploring a national park in a remote location around 870 miles away from the nation's capital. Even powerful tides from Mother Nature didn't set it free. All passengers and crew are safe and sound. The Danish military's Joint Arctic Command said it's contacting nearby ships to see if they can help. And remains of alleged non-humans were unveiled in Mexico, according to organizers. The two stuffed bodies were recovered in 2017 in Peru. They were 700 and 1,800 years old, respectively, with only three fingers on each hand and elongated heads. Officials say that researchers are looking for DNA evidence that doesn't belong to humans. The remains were presented at Mexico's first public congressional hearing on unidentified anomalous phenomena, also known as UFOs. A colossal planet about 120 light years from Earth may have water flowing on it. That's what new evidence uncovered by the James Webb Telescope possibly shows. The investigation with the space-based observatory reveals that exoplanet K218b may have some key features of a planet that could support bodies of water and life. An analysis of Webb's observations found the planet has abundant methane and carbon dioxide in its atmosphere. NASA says there's also the presence of these carbon-bearing molecules along with a scarcity of ammonia, which could indicate an atmosphere rich with hydrogen that surrounds an ocean world. Carbon is considered the building block of life forms on Earth. Want to fly someplace for a few bucks this fall? Frontier Airlines is offering 99% off round-trip flights for travel before December 13th, but the offer is only good through Tuesday. The discount is on the base fare, not taxes or Frontier's many fees. It charges for things like carry-on bags, checked bags, seat selection, and snacks. Frontier says Fridays, Sundays, and some other dates are excluded, as well as certain routes. A hand-built electric car breaks the world record for acceleration. Students in Switzerland designed the car to go from 0 to 60 in less than one second. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more from the fast lane. 
Meet Mitten. This EV race car is the brainchild of members of the academic motorsports club Zurich, students from two Swiss universities. From the kind of cars that we usually build that can drive continuously at the racing pace for at least 20 minutes, uh, this was something completely different. It just bursts. Everything has to happen within one second. Guinness World Records says AMZ beat the previous world record of 1.461 seconds. We wanted to really uh, put a foot down and, and uh, make a big difference. Uh, so we aimed for under one second, which was uh, quite a high target. We were all aware. And they met their goal in 0 0.956 seconds to be exact. It took just 40 feet of track. The car completed the record-breaking run three times on September 1st. Team leader Elwa Rosé says one of the biggest challenges is producing the huge stable power output needed. So it's quite a different concept uh, overall, especially the aerodynamics that was completely new. Like we never had done something like that before. We basically had to create a, a big amount of force with power ground effect, more force than the weight of the car itself. Talk about a need for speed. Now for an episode of Strong Mind and Body, NTD's Gina Marie looks at 10 foods that can help you live longer. People in every culture seek the fountain of youth, but few know that they don't have to look very far. It may be found in your kitchen cupboard. Healthy eating habits play a role in living longer and keeping your cells healthy as you age. Healthy aging relies on foods that support our bodies, including brain and heart. These foods often contain antioxidants and anti-inflammatory properties. These support optimal health down to the level of our cells. Let's look at 10 of the best foods to add to your diet, starting with number one, almonds. Almonds contain protein, healthy fats, and powerful antioxidants. These help to protect the body at a cellular level. Number two, apples. Don't be fooled by the simplicity of apples. They are an anti-aging powerhouse. Apples help to improve cardiovascular health. They do this by decreasing your total cholesterol and bad cholesterol levels. Number three, anchovies. Anchovies are rich in both minerals and healthy omega-3 fats. So enjoy them as a snack on whole grain crackers or in a salad for healthy aging. Number four, avocado. This healthy, fat-packed fruit is full of unsaturated fatty acids combined with antioxidants like vitamin E and C, potassium and B vitamins like vitamins B5, folic acid and B6. Number 5. Basil Basil is full of antioxidants, so toss it into your next salad, put it on a sandwich or even blend it into a smoothie for a fresh, healthy boost. Number six, beets. Beets contain some critical compounds necessary for longevity. They also contain unique antioxidants which have anti-cancer and anti-inflammatory effects. Number seven, black beans. All beans contain a high level of folate, which is good for the brain, cognition, and memory, especially as we age. They are full of heart-healthy potassium, magnesium, iron, zinc, and protein. Number eight, blueberries. Blueberries are absolutely packed with important anti-aging nutrients like vitamin C and folate. They are a must for anti-aging, especially for the skin and brain. 
Number nine, bran. Whole grains, which includes fiber-rich bran, are known as health foods, especially because of their vitamin, mineral, and fiber content. And number 10, broccoli. Broccoli contains many critical nutrients for healthy aging. Eating cruciferous vegetables is associated with health benefits against cancer, diabetes, asthma, and Alzheimer's disease. So there you have it, be sure to add these foods to your diet. Almonds, apples, anchovies, avocados, basil, beets, black beans, blueberries, bran and broccoli. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.